Hello, I'm George Mason, host of Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. We'll be talking today with my guest, Amy Lewis Hoffland, who is the executive director of the Crow Collection of Asian Art here in Dallas. And we'll be talking specifically about the connection between faith and how a fearless heart is really the key to growing in your spiritual life. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm George Mason, your host, and I'm pleased to welcome today Amy Lewis Hoffland, who is the executive director of the Crow Collection Thank of you. Asian Art here in Dallas. And Amy, it's so good to have you and to talk with you about, uh, well, about art, but maybe in this episode, maybe also about faith and about uh, how we, we call this episode Good God, but this may be uh, more about the interaction between our life of faith uh, here in Dallas and your experience and mine and, and how cultures uh, actually enrich that and, and we learn from it. So let's begin Great. Uh, by asking you about uh, your own uh, faith experience and your own faith journey. Uh, where has it been and where has it taken you? Well, I'm a cradle Episcopalian. Okay. And there were many cradles before that. Yes. And I come from a family that has always, they're church builders. Okay. So my grandparents started St. Paul's on the Plains in Lubbock, Texas, wow. an Episcopal church that's still there today. And I just grew up in a home where faith was our most important um, time together. It was our quiet space. It was a place of understanding mm -hmm. for our family. And we were we were we are proud Episcopalians. Um, mm -hmm. My dad has been the senior warden at his church for oh, I don't know 15 years, and we're so proud of his leadership. And so mm -hmm. it was always expected that church was a place where we practiced our faith tradition, but we also helped it grow um, for others. So I learned a lot as an Episcopalian. Senior warden has always been a title that makes me feel like a church is a prison <laughs> or something, and you need somebody to look after. I know, and, isn't know, that right? true? Isn't yeah, that true? but. The Episcopalians have all the great titles, right? For uh, their ministers oh, yes. and clergy, the vicars and the and rectors the and the canons. To the ordinary. Exactly, yes. I know. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but nonetheless, so the the Episcopal uh, tradition mm -hmm. of the Christian faith has uh, is a sacramental tradition, you yes. might say. Uh, there's a Protestant aspect to it, but uh, the the Episcopal tradition is. Uh, uh, still comes out of the Catholic side of Christianity, which has a, a high emphasis on the table, whereas mm -hmm. maybe Protestantism is more about word and, um, the, and and preaching and doctrine and those sorts of things. Right. Episcopalians have been more around the gathering at the table, right. around what we have in common, and that actually has a, a bit more of a connection to uh, nature and mm -hmm. uh, to community and food and all of that. These kinds of emphases actually we find in Eastern religions too, right. uh, which is uh, maybe in 
unexpected link for you in terms of your journey. Um, unexpected even as of two weeks ago. Really? So I'm still finding and still learning about the impact of these connections. Okay. Um, just two weeks ago, I attended the Maundy Thursday service mm -hmm. and the Good Friday service and Holy Saturday. Yes. And humbly, I admit, I'd never been to the, those services. I think I've probably been to uh, the vigil Friday okay. before. But I oh, was this makes my heart so <laughs> warmed that you, you, you attended these services. Because, oh, good. Yes, well, yes. I had no idea. Right. I had no idea, and I'm so grateful. I'm on a committee that has invited us to study this these journey to the cross. Yes. And I, you know, I was blown away by the integrity that good. I learned good. in those services. The integrity of, of how Jesus talked to the disciples and how fearless he was going into that mm -hmm. journey yes. and prepared and mm -hmm. steeped in love. I mean, all the things that, that I like to think about in the, on the positive side of the church calendar, yes. right? Easter yes. and Christmas. And right. um, humbly, I'd never dealt with the, that side of it. Mm -hmm. And I think what has happened for me is my exploration of Buddhism and Hinduism and those theologies, and especially Buddhism, yes. around truth and sort of looking for um, right speech oh. and deep listening and mm -hmm. um, opened up my heart that week in a way that I've never mm -hmm. experienced. So Wonderful. it's very fresh that you've asked me this question um, because I can say fully that I'm more Episcopalian than ever after you know leading an Asian art museum for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So It's interesting, Buddhism was born uh, out of this wrestling with suffering and mm -hmm. the problem of evil right. and that sort of thing. And for many Christians in the West who move from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday and they skip right over Holy Week, you know, right. the, the, the suffering and the darkness and the pain and the sacrifice and the right. commitment of love, you know, to keep going and to it's go through there. it. It's all there. It's all there. And yet uh, in our tradition, we, we seem to want the victory without the struggle, right. you know, and, and, and so, uh, being able to recognize that you don't you don't get to abundant life uh, by hopscotching over the difficulties and the challenges right. you go through it not around it or over it right and i'm so aware of it where we yes. love comfort yes um i have a car <laughs> i have a car and the steering wheel has a heater yes, yes. you know our seats have air conditioners uh -huh. right and it makes me <laughs> so uncomfortable when I drive past a homeless person on the sidewalk. Oh. And I've got to figure out what is the next, what is the best right action for me in that situation. Good. And, and how to create conversations that help a city manage homelessness and racism and yes. all of these things. And, you know, today it's so present for me because I know Highland Park High School has recently had some issues with the students in, um, where the junior boys were pushing Chinese girls out of the lunchroom because they were mm. speaking Chinese. Mm. Um, we're not disconnected from this. We like right. to be, yes. like we like to be disconnected from the, mm -hmm. the, you know, the crucifixion. Um, but we can't, we can't lie to ourselves anymore. Good. Good. And we have to be courageous and have the conversation and be fearless about teaching religion. Yes. And, yes. there, and, you know, I loved it. Mayor Rawlings was at our Festival of Joy on Saturday mm -hmm. at Clyde Warren Park. 
and the Festival of Joy celebrates Krishna and the mm -hmm. deities are brought from the temple in East Dallas and it was the first time in 35 years that they've left the East Dallas neighborhood wow. around Gurley and brought the deities uh, to the Arts District and Mayor Rawlings put on a turban. Wow. Isn't that great? It is amazing. And of yeah, course, he's yeah. been a great mayor for a city for yeah. so many reasons, not just right. not just the arts, but right. to be ready to have a conversation around um, how we love each other. Well, this, I think, is a really important thing happening in Dallas, and I'm not sure that everyone appreciates just quite the significance of what you're describing here. Mm -hmm. But if you think about how Dallas is changing, and in my mind and yours, I think, positively, mm -hmm. we are moving from a more homogeneous culture and a spirit that wants to keep reinforcing these sort of um, protected neighborhoods mm -hmm. and segregated schools. And now, of course, they're legally uh, desegregated, but we are we've been historically de facto uh, still segregated uh, by choice. Um, but education uh, and, uh, and the arts and our neighborhoods, we're becoming more aware of how um, the, the, the poverty in certain areas of Dallas is not all by accident right. and it's not all by choice. It's by intention, where we build highways, uh, what we specifically do with, with civic services, mm -hmm. city services. And so we're starting to see uh, the profile of people come up more around this diversity and unity and let's be a city for everyone. And that's also a religious matter, isn't it? It is. It's a religious matter and it's a human survival matter. Yes. And I love the work of Karen Armstrong and that led me to the mm -hmm. book, The 12 Steps to yes. a More Compassionate Life. I know that book, yes. We've done that book study in several organizations downtown and I'm now on the board of Compassionate DFW. And Compassionate DFW is walking the walk yes. and trying to figure out through the eight sectors that are part of the organization, um, how do we handle this deep history of race in mm -hmm. Dallas? Absolutely. And, you know, we can apologize for it and we have and we will continue to apologize for what has happened in the city, but we really have to act on, on making it right. I, I think that when we talk about apologies, mm -hmm. it makes uh, people nervous uh, who, f who have been part of the, who are beneficiaries of that history, right? So right. people who look like you and me, Amy, right, right we have been beneficiaries of uh, privilege uh, and of uh, segregation and of uh, the, the kinds of uh, human capital Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, and social capital that has allowed us to flourish that also has a shadow side. Right. And so it makes a lot of folks nervous because we, we'd like to say, well, that wasn't us, that was our forebears. Right. You know, but then when uh, people who have suffered at the hands of this say, right. uh, wait a minute, you know, uh, we want to talk about that we, yeah. we'd like to say no that was then this is now yeah and uh, it occurs to me that our faith traditions say that repentance uh, actually has to be judged by 
what fruits of change, right. how you're actually going to say, if you want to say you're sorry about something, show me that you've changed the way you're, you're behaving Exactly. Now. And w I think we'd like to be able to say we're sorry and then continue to go on our way. Yeah, and it's not a monument. It's not a monument. <laughs> it's, it's not, not a, monument. a monument. Exactly. It's, you know, it's 100% responsibility. Yes. We talk about this term a lot at our museum, where if you ask someone to do something, you don't just pass it off. You know, right. like compassionate DFW cannot create Dallas as a compassionate city. Yes. Um, we have to be responsible for the events we create and the actions we create and the intentions that we set right. all the way through to the end. Yes. You know, and yes. the end is when we truly can say Dallas is a compassionate city. Right. So it's really, you're right, it's, it's, it's so much more than... Um, grace making or apology apologizing it's it's about what are we going to do that shows up for that right. human that's suffered right so you know the biblical traditions teach us that we sh we can't live in word only but mm -hmm. we must live in deed right. right so getting words and deeds together uh, actually, the Hebrew word davar means uh, word and deed both. Uh, right. So, uh, when when God spoke creation into being in Genesis chapter one, uh, that was the original word, and it was the original deed, and mm. things came into being through that. So, connecting those things, I think, and being committed to right speech, which you mentioned, mm -hmm. the integrity of speech and 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 action. Uh, that Holy Week represents in Jesus' example. Let's talk more about this in just a moment when we come back. We want to promote uh, a nonprofit that's dear to your heart as well. Beautiful. And we'll do that for just a moment and then we'll continue. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Compassionate DFW is striving to make Dallas-Fort Worth more intentionally compassionate, where everyone is committed to live by the principles of compassion and the golden rule. It works through diverse initiatives, arts, business, education, environmental, healthcare, religious, spiritual, interfaith, and more. Visit CompassionateDFW.org to get involved. Well, we're back with Amy Lewis Hoffland. And Amy, we were talking before the break about uh, this notion of fearlessness and the connection to compassion mm -hmm. and how faith has to be both word and deed uh, if it's going to be authentic faith. Uh, so uh, we have, you, yes. you were kind enough to bring me this book. It's <laughs> called A Fearless Heart. Uh, pronounce the name of the author for me. Tupton Jinpa. Tumpton Jimpa. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, you were mentioning that this, this book is uh, actually written by the translator of an aid to the Dalai Lama. Yes. So uh, you've uh, been referring to this uh, to me privately, and I, uh, there's a passage I think you'd like to I'd read to us. I'd love to read us. it. So um, this book has kindled a number of discussions. Yes. Uh, we worked with the Center for Islamic Relations here in Dallas mm -hmm. to create some community conversations. And we went to mosques and we went to uh, a synagogue and we went to churches to talk about compassion as a unifying thread. Okay. And so I, one of my favorite paragraphs is the promise of the book. We must address our fears if we are to overcome resistance to compassion. The next part of this book will help you explore the personal beliefs underpinning yours. You will see how resistance to compassion, including self-compassion, manifests in your thoughts, attitudes, and emotional reactions, and you will learn how to deal with these through awareness and understanding. Through practice, we can learn to be with our uncertainty. Hmm. I think that's so well, right. We just have to be comfortable with what we don't know and respond flexibly to our experiences of pain, sorrow, and fear. 
not fighting them and resisting them, rather observing them, being with them, and responding with gentle understanding. Mm. This is a radically different approach to life. It asks us to change our habitual self-protective patterns. It calls for a fearless heart. Isn't that great? A fearless heart. A fearless heart. And it's, you know, you set the intention, you sit with, you know, the, the monsters. We, one of the Tibetan teachers I study talks about the beautiful monster, huh. you know, and you just sit in prayer. I, I combine prayer and meditation and you sit with, what does it feel like to be in this space of fear? What is the worst mm-hmm. thing that can happen to me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I practiced it a couple of times already this year. So um, I thought about and made a list of the things that scare me the most. Okay. You know, and Eleanor Roosevelt had that great quote of yeah. uh, walk into the fear that scares you the most. Walk yes. right into it. Yes. And I signed up for Oral Fixation, which is a wonderful storytelling group uh-huh. um, here in town, to tell a story I haven't told in a long time. And it's the story of growing up with cleft lip and cleft palate. Really? And I was born with a cleft through the lip, the palate, and the nose. Okay. And for my faithful Episcopalian parents, it was a really tough um, awakening. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a surprise. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. When I was born, we didn't have all these 3D sonograms. Right. So, um, you know, it defined me for a long time. For 20 years, I had 21 operations in 21 years. Oh, my goodness. So I learned yeah. courage in a different way. Yes. I didn't know it. Uh-huh. And... And this book woke that up in me, and it was to tell the story because so many uh, Chinese adoptees Mm -hmm. that come to Dallas and come to the world, and it is a trend that they have cleft lip and cleft palate and were given to the orphanage because they weren't perfect. I'll put that word in quotes. So I told my story in front of 350 people at the Wiley Theater in February terrifying. <laughs> um, and it was great because I, my 10-year-old, I practiced it a lot before I told it. And he said, well, have you shared this with, with Mimi and Papa, with my mom and dad? And I said, oh, no, I'm not ready to do that. And he said, mom, you talk about the year of courage and a fearless heart, and you can't even tell your own parents. So um, I called him and read it to him. And it was really a love letter to their faith and commitment that my journey to healing would be... Um, plentiful and everything I needed. So that was wow. one. And then my second uh, challenge is to become certified to teach yoga. Okay. So I'm in the 200 hour certification program wow. at Dallas Yoga Center, wow. which is a very hard thing to do. I'll bet um, it is. But it's really great yes. to sit with fear of a handstand or, you know, sit in fear of teaching a class of 30 people an hour of yoga. See, I, I don't think that most people want to spend much time <laughs> Uh, addressing fear because, well, okay, it seems tautological to say it scares us, right? right? We're afraid of fear, right? right? Um, But mostly our strategy um, spiritually is to assume that if we uh, can deny it and if we um, actually just focus on positive things Mm -hmm. and do positive things that will overcome it, but, but you're suggesting, I think, that a, f- a more faithful way of addressing fear is actually to address it. That mm-hmm. is, to become aware of it, to name it. Right. And in doing so, it takes the fangs out of it somehow. It, it, it does. It, it right. de-escalates the uh, energy around it. Okay. And for me. Yes. Um, and it really, I mean, it, it's sitting with fear is a different experience than 
perseverating over fear, uh-huh. you know, and sort of imagining the worst. And you just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still working on it. I'm human and I'll work on it for the rest of my life. Right. Um, but I think um, the sitting is the first space, okay. the quiet and yes. setting the intention. Right. And then creating the next possibility. Right. For that. Sitting with it. Now there's, there's a, a posture involved mm-hmm. in that, both literally and figuratively, right? right? So the literal aspect S- of that would be a, a practice yeah. of, of sitting in quietness. And then the figurative aspect of that would be a kind of acceptance, a right. letting be. Right, and that's self-compassion. Yes. To allow a space for 15 minutes in, mm-hmm. in our day, in yes. my crazy, wild day, mm-hmm. which I shouldn't even say that because it's not crazy and it's not wild, right? right. That's all in the realm of interpretation. But um, George, there are so few quiet spaces left in the world. Mm. Our cars are allowed, yes. our workspaces are louder, our, with our mm-hmm. computer kind mm-hmm. of binging every, every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some churches are louder. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> churches are louder and malls are louder. Yes. So where are the quiet spaces? There are art museums. Right. And then the spaces we create, the peace places wow. that yeah. I talk about. Right. So creating the, the space for prayer mm-hmm. and meditation, mm-hmm. learning how to sit with the breath. It's a very uncomfortable space. Mm-hmm. And I'm still working on my dad. But, um, <laughs> you know, to be okay with being alone with the breath. Right. And right. sitting with what comes up in that moment. Okay, yeah. Practices like these uh, actually have uh, some roots in Western spirituality, mm-hmm. but you are also discovering them in Eastern spirituality too, uh, and and whether it's yoga or meditation, that sort of thing. Uh, some Christians have a kind of um, worried uh, spirit mm-hmm. about the infiltration of Eastern practices into Western uh, faith, that it will somehow taint or, uh, mm-hmm. or, or distort our own particular faith tradition. It sounds to me like you're finding more correlation, more, Absolutely. Uh, more ex- freshness of experience uh, that is enhancing your ability to understand your own faith. Is that true? I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And I think the more I learn, the more resonance I see across faith traditions. Right. Um, it really is about love and acceptance. Okay. And love and acceptance does not deny or hold someone out of a space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, I, 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 we meditate a lot at work and I use the word meditate. Yes. And I've, you know, we've had some questions about that and right. Some, right. some ruffled feathers and I just keep using the word meditate because I think it's mm-hmm. okay. Right. Uh, before every meeting, we sit for three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I do invite people to be present in the way that they choose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether they choose to sit in a space of just thought mm-hmm. or prayer or mm-hmm. a mantra or a meditation is right. that totally up to them. Right. Um, but I do find that the more the more I read and see, there's a universality to being a human, mm. and we choose. Yes. Our practice, and we choose our faith. Well, contemplation is um, also part of the history of the Western spiritual prayer Mm -hmm. practices. Uh, This idea of meditating and contemplating, it, it's it's really the listening side, isn't it? The the paying attention, but we we are so given to the 
uh, speaking, the, the talking side of prayer, to our side of this, mm-hmm. uh, maybe uh, a, a bit more attention to meditation allows us to believe that God is actually communicating to us too, that we can actually hear back right. uh, and, and be open and, and receptive, not just active. Right. Deep listening is a hard concept, and I've read a lot of Thich Nhat Hanh's work. Mm-hmm. I visited Plum Village last year mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and studied with a group of mm-hmm. corporate people. Yes. Um, and deep listening requires a fearless heart. Okay. Because a lot of my go-to habit is to think about what am I going to say that makes me right? Uh-huh. What am I going to say next that asserts right. my rightness in this conversation? Yes. And a deep listener isn't in that space. Right. A deep listener has compassion to the human to be present with the other, uh, which is actually how I good. define compassion, is right. being present with the other. Okay. What does it mean? How do you get to that space of present? It's interesting. I, 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 when I'm counseling with couples that are going to get married, mm-hmm. I, I often talk to them about conflict and about relationship. And I, I say to them, you know, you, you're going to find yourself sometimes feeling misunderstood and all of that. And you really have to decide whether you want to be right or you want to be married. <laughs> That's so right. <laughs> because yeah. uh, in a way, what you have to sort of give up is this need to be validated that you're view of things is the important one Mm -hmm. and instead learn this kind of compassion and respect for the other's point of view Uh, and everything isn't about right and wrong Uh, some things are really just about love Uh, it's about the relationship it's it's not about uh, truth so to speak right and Really, uh, just being conscious to that, that, that right. everyone is suffering. Yes. You know, everyone is trying to figure this world out in, a, mm-hmm. in this age of technology. Yes. And um, everyone, is, everyone needs a quiet space. Okay. I, I yeah. believe that. And so I, I hope right. that our collection, because it was steeped in compassion, okay. I mean, these were objects of devotion for okay. communities in other mm-hmm. faith traditions than mm-hmm. my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they that's part of their DNA as a collection. And then you've got a couple that built a collection out of love. Yes. So as love is sort of part of our recipe all the way back to the right. formation of the first jade that we have that's prehistoric. Yes. So um, I think that's why it works. And I hope that the crow can be the antidote to whatever's going on in people's lives. You know, I think that there's a misconception in um, some Western religion about uh, the use of objects in mm-hmm. devotion, in, in uh, spirituality. Uh, there's a fear of idolatry yes. uh, about uh, vesting too much in them to make them gods to you, that sort of thing. Uh, but you know, the Orthodox traditions, uh, which are more Eastern uh, in Christianity, uh, iconography is a very important part of their prayer life, of their devotion and worship. And what they, what they do with that is similar to what you're describing about the uh, objects of Eastern art, Asian art, is that you're not looking so much at them, but you're looking through them. You're looking, mm-hmm. you're looking to them in order to see what they point to. Uh, right. At, it, it, they're a reflection in part. They're, they're a window in part. They're not a stopping point. Right. Uh, they're, they're something, uh, a place where you can uh, see better and understand better if you uh, attend to it. 
And we have, we have to do that. As a museum educator, I have to find the relevance right. for you when mm -hmm. you come into the Crow. Mm -hmm. And I think the context for how these objects were um, used or incorporated or engaged with the public at the time is really important. It mm -hmm. teaches us how we relate to the objects that we are engaged with today, mm -hmm. with our iPads or whatever they are. Right, right. Um, and many of the works, especially in the Hindu tradition, are literally teaching texts, less ah. less than works of art, right. more um, scriptures right. through the visual symbols, scriptures, visual scriptures right. of how we learn about compassion and wisdom. Which is really what Western art was originally, religious art. True, yeah. Uh, I mean, before the Bible was available to people on a broad scale, uh, these uh, works of art were the only Bible that many of the common people had. Right. Depicting scenes from the Bible, and painters would do this, and murals in cathedrals, yeah. and frescoes, and all, these, yeah. all, all that sort of thing. So, uh, well, that's uh, a, a beautiful way of thinking, I think, about art, uh, the, the visual aspect of it becomes uh, sort of a text to us. It does, and yeah. I think art plus compassion leads to healing. Beautiful. Whether it's community healing, racial healing, uh, family healing. Families are starved for mm -hmm. togetherness, understanding and awareness right. and attention. So let's, let's have the collection create that for Dallas. Well, that's a beautiful way for us <laughs> to conclude today. Amy, thank you so much for being with us thank and you. for sharing your own faith journey and the interaction between uh, your faith and the work that you do. Thank you, it's been a delight. Thank you Great. so much. Thank you. Thanks. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. Compassionate DFW is striving to make Dallas-Fort Worth more intentionally compassionate, where everyone is committed to live by the principles of compassion and the golden rule. It works through diverse initiatives, arts, business, education, environmental, healthcare, religious, spiritual, interfaith, and more. Visit CompassionateDFW.org to get involved.